Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Cheesehead Hangover, your weekly Packers podcast with Garrison Anderson, Sarah Anderson. Say hi to the people, Sarah. Hi, people. And she said hi to the people. Hello, people. Uh, good, good to be back this week. Uh, we're obviously coming off a Packers win. Uh, they defeated the Lions in a very tight 23-22 to win in Lambeau Field. Uh, but we'll get deeper into that game and we'll probably have a couple rants along the way. I think this is a very rant-worthy game. Uh, but first, uh, I do think I want to talk quickly about some NFL news and notes and get those out of the way for you folks. Uh, as we head into this next week, uh, we are recording on Wednesday, October 16th in the evening. Um, and there's been a fair amount of activity, uh, this, uh, week, uh, in the NFL, both Packers related and non-Packers related. Uh, to get started, uh, we'll go over a couple of the St. Louis Rams trades because that's sort of dominating that up all headlines right here. Uh, uh, yeah, go for you it. You mean the LA Rams? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, as my uh, St. Louis, one of my best friends is a St. Louis Rams fan, so uh, they always say it's the St. Louis Rams of Anaheim, which is the correct name. I mean, I can't <laughs> deny that. Uh, they were there, then they were in St. Louis, and now they're back. And LA doesn't know what to do with having let a, one football team, let alone let alone two. And so, um, you know, St. Louis might just want to keep the door open. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yes, you are correct. The LA Rams uh, they uh, earlier this week traded Marcus Peters, who is a uh, former Pro Bowl and All Pro cornerback, to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, in return, they got a fifth round pick in 2020. And a young linebacker, Kenny Young, who's replacing another player that was injured on the Rams. Um, and one of the things I found out from this uh, Marcus Peters trade that uh, I read an article about it. And it talked a little bit about how Peters, he performed okay in L.A., but uh, L.A. is really used to uh, running man-to-man coverage. And Marcus Peters has had more success when he's played zone coverage as a cornerback and Baltimore's a zone coverage team. So this seems like a good change of scenery type of trade in my mind. Uh, however, some people were a little confused by this when they first saw it and obviously it led way to a much bigger splash in the water. And the reason why we're talking about the Rams here to start off our Cheesehead Hangover podcast where Jalen Ramsey, the somewhat disgruntled cornerback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who got in a very verbal altercation with his head coach during a game, uh, was traded to the Rams. Uh, He's definitely one of the top five cornerbacks in the league. And I got to say, the Rams got quite the haul for the cornerback, or the Jaguars got quite the haul for the cornerback. They got a 2020 first-round pick of the Rams, a 2021 first-round pick of the Rams, and a 2021 fourth-round pick. And I thought this was interesting. It makes it so the Rams will not have had a first-round pick in five consecutive drafts from 2017 to 2021. And that's kind of crazy considering this was a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. That is pretty wild, um, especially because first round picks are so, you know, they're they're 
there's so much put on that first round of the NFL draft. And so to not even like show up to the dance for five years is pretty, pretty something and really is probably hard on any roster that's really trying to invest in developing what it wants to be in the future. Um, you know, the part of football is about the here and now, but a big part of it is uh, planning ahead and thinking, thinking, you know, who, what, what players can become in, you know, a year, two years, three years down the road so that you can save on cap space. That's true. And with these two trades that went on, I thought it would be an interesting question to at least ponder for a minute or two before we get into some Packers news and notes. But do we think that the Packers should make a trade this year? I mean, in recent history, at least this past offseason, we've seen Gutekunst being willing to trade players on the roster bubble like Trevor Davis for a sixth-round pick and Reggie Gilbert for a seventh-round pick. But should the Packers use some of that draft capital they built up to uh, make a trade and make an impact on this team in the middle of the season? And if so, what do you think as far as position-wise where we need some help? I think, I mean, I think right now it's worth considering as far as... um, wide receiver and safety go right now half of our wide receivers are on the injury report and we are left with two safeties um who are not on the injury report and that's pretty thin at those two two physicians granted you know guys are going to get healthy they're going to come back um but you know it's it's it really shows that that Gutekunst's job is never done um, just because we've started the season, just because we have 53, we've cut a roster to 53 men, um, we're not done. It's uh, <laughs> he he really is is you know just just closing one chapter and starting the next. And so um, you know, do I think he's going to do anything? Do I think he should? Eh, no, not necessarily. Um, they have the talent. They have in house. They have the players in house, but. The question is, is are those players available? And that's a that's really a question at those two positions right now. That's... And so you you got to look around. And I'm sure he is looking under every rock and, and behind every um, you know door to see see what might be there. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting time of the season where we'll probably see a little bit more activity across the NFL for the next couple of weeks here because. Teams have started to separate themselves in terms of the half to two-thirds of the league that are going to be in playoff contention and the other third of the league that likely won't be in playoff contention. And when you have a team like, per se, the Cincinnati Bengals, who are 0-6 and struggling their way through to a large degree, and they have a player like A.J. Green, who is a former uh, Pro Bowl wide receiver, there are definitely some easy lines to connect that folks might say, oh, A.J. Green on the Packers might look like greener pastures uh, to yeah. some degree. And I mean, I'm, I'm even thinking back to Gutekunst's um, trade of Trevor Davis to our opponent this week, the Oakland Raiders. Um but you know, there's there's things that make sense when when guys are getting at the end of their contracts and and you know how you know what you might be able to leverage that for. I think that's a great example of, yeah, he 
especially this week almost proved, you know, a crucial flaw in trading him with that, with a muff punt. He, I mean, he's a reliable uh, returner, good receiver, really, really hitting his stride. Um, but he's at the end of his contract. And so for a fraction of a season, granted the majority, but still a, only a portion of a season to get, you know, a draft pick out of that, that's, that's not bad. Um, I think, you know, I think it's a lot of weighing the pros and cons of each situation and each situation is different. Um, but if something happens, I wouldn't be surprised. For sure. And I, I'll be interested. I, I could definitely see another trade taking place for, uh, a veteran wide, right. Wide receiver, whether it be an AJ green or like, a Emmanuel Sanders, who's a little bit of an older wide receiver mm-hmm. for the Den- Denver Broncos. Um, and the Broncos are two and four right now. Um, you can maybe see someone of that ilk be traded to the Packers and it'll be interesting to see if that does happen. Uh, with that, uh, let's pivot to some Packers news and notes. And oddly enough, this was a somewhat of a eventful week. One, one more thing for the greater NFL. Okay. And no particular reason to, to bring this up, but I just want to say welcome back, Sam Darnold. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sam <laughs> and... Darnold, for those of you that don't know, had mononucleosis because he's a teenager. He's not actually a teenager, but. He's young. Who knows? He's, he's just... virile. Just, just a, just a friendly reminder out there. Be careful who you kiss. It's a, it's, you know, it's a good thing to think about in general. <laughs> but welcome back, Sam. Well, welcome back, Sam. And uh, for better news and notes that are unrelated completely to what we were talking about, uh, Saquon Barkley is superhuman again, and he's coming to save my fantasy football team. Uh, he had a grade one high ankle sprain, which usually knocks people out for four to eight weeks. And I think he's, he was reported today to be a full participant in practice and looks like he'll be back in a mere three weeks from this injury. So he's a superhuman. That's all I got to say. I wish he was on the Packers, but he's not. So he has to be on my fantasy team instead. Uh, and with that, uh, let's get to some Packers news and notes. Uh, as I was starting to say before, it's a it was a busy few days since we last talked to you guys. Um, the Packers uh, today on Wednesday activated Jay Sternberger off IR, uh, so it looks like he will be progressing his way into the fold as far as games go. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he might be on the inactives list for a week or two, uh, the next couple of games. But I also, uh, wouldn't be surprised with some Jimmy Graham struggles. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, if Sternberger gets a chance to show his talents a little bit more into the game. Also <clears throat> with Robert Tanyan going down with an injury, you know, his, his availability could be, could be compromised in some way, even if he is back in the game coming back from injuries oftentimes. I mean, we saw it this week with Kevin King. He was a little bit slower than he is when he's 100%. And sure. so um, could be, you know, trying to toggle that to maintain three tight ends, which I think is pretty critical to Matt LaFleur's offense. That's true. And at least the nice thing about Sternberger is he he obviously was in preseason action and got some got some activity there. But since he's been on IR, he's been able to 
go through the full slate of recovery and have some limited practices, but being activated off IR is certainly a signal that he's probably trending towards uh, some participation in the regular season here. Um, the Packers also uh, had another individual return to practice, Ibrahim Campbell, who was a safety corner guy uh, who's on the PUP list. And I think he's uh, eligible to return to practice this week and then eligible to come off the PUP in two weeks. I believe that's after eight weeks they can come off the PUP. Yep. Um, so those are a couple guys coming back from injury. Uh, the injury report for Wednesday for the Packers, they had a walkthrough today, uh, and the following individuals were, uh, estimated to not participate if there was an actual practice today. And those included Adams, Savage, Graham, Allison, and MBS. And I don't know if you know this, but four out of the five of those people catch passes for the Packers. If you weren't counting as he was going through the list. Yeah, so that's certainly something to keep tabs on. And you certainly want guys like Adams and Savage and Graham, who are clear starters, to not be on the injury report week to week. But that being said, we also signed a pass catcher, which I think is probably a sign a couple of those guys we mentioned on the injury report aren't going to be here for at least this week for at least this week uh so we signed uh ryan grant who was a wide receiver who started the year with oakland and was in two games for them Uh, not that ryan grant you guys not that ryan grant a different ryan grant uh ryan grant had a longish tenure with the redskins played for the colts last year has a 80 games in his career, and he's a guy who I would describe on the stat sheet as meh, not quite okay, but meh. Um, I'm certainly excited to see him play. Uh, I listened to an interview of his, and uh, he actually worked out with Devontae Adams in the offseason, and uh, they shared a wide receiver coach in college, so... I'm at least hopeful that if Adams can't go with turf toe, he can wrap his arm around Ryan Grant and tell him the cheat code version, the um, the quick uh, what what do they call uh, the the spark notes version of the offense? Yes, the, <laughs> I'm hoping Adams can give him the spark notes version of the offense. You know, um, He's a name I have heard in the NFL, so that was, like, reassuring. He he didn't just come off of some practice squad somewhere, and we've never heard of him. Um, I don't know. This kind of caught me off guard. I didn't really expect them to just sign a a random wide receiver. Um, This might tell us about the wide receiver market as far as who's available and who's willing to trade right now. Um, It... Maybe there's something about his background that um, somebody somebody in the office likes, whether that's, you know, Matt LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett, Gutekunst, who knows? Um, we'll see what happens here. Yeah. But, you know, as long as he can, can, can run, catch a ball, not turn it over, welcome to the team, Ryan. Yep. Welcome to the team, new Packer. <laughs> uh, so the one last bit of news I wanted to share with the Cheesehead Hangover crew 
was I came across a story on ESPN after the Packers Lions game. There's a there's a group of uh, I would describe rogue Lions fans in the Detroit area that like to buy up some billboard space along the highways. We all know home prices in Detroit are fairly affordable. Apparently, billboard prices are as well. Um, so a couple billboards popped up in Detroit after the after the Packers Lions game, uh, and these billboards depict. Uh, a cartoon sort of rendition of a uh, NFL referee wearing the zebra stripes. And then the ref is uh, holding his fist, signaling the holding call. Uh, and he's wearing a cheese head. So I, I got to say, the image of it is very, very funny. Um, and... I don't know what to say besides that. It's it's funny. Good one, Lions fans. They're not taking this well, are they? <laughs> no, <laughs> they aren't. Uh, is holding the holding call, holding gesture the same as the one for hands to the face? I really don't know. I think they were probably trying to go for hands to the face, but the billboard definitely looks like it's a hold. It looks call. like a holding call, and they're slightly different gestures. So I also. I feel like the Lions yet again have missed the mark on on this billboard. Although, also, question, why is it a blue background? And if what they're trying to imply, shouldn't it be a green background? Sure. Maybe? It, it's I sure. don't know. Or there, anyway. Well, so here, I want to get into this <laughs> first. And this will be the start of our Packers and Lions segment. Uh I need to shout into the void of Twitter here for a minute. Uh, the There's been a popular sensation on Twitter, and I think of a lot of Lions fans, I assume, and probably NFL fans who uh, want to say that the refs were on the Packers' side and the refs were the Packers' team MVP. And I think those are a lot of the disgruntled Lions fans. And to them, I'll say... That is idiotic. The refs are independent. They're paid. And one stat I wanted to bring up was the Packers are tied for 16th in the league with 43 penalties. And the Lions are tied for 18th in the league with 42 penalties. These are two teams that have been penalized the same amount of times. I'm sure if we wanted to go through each penalty, they probably have a similar amount of bad calls being called against them. They might have a similar amount of missed calls called against them. And to imply that the refs are working for one team and wanting one team to win over another is just pure idiotic. And I, I, I'm all for saying the refs miss these calls, but to say that they want one team to win over the other, I think is absolutely idiotic and something that just is somebody it's just who's a, a fallacy. they're just hurt the fans the lions fans are just hurt they they can't admit that they kicked five field goals and they did not put the packers away when they should have put them away and that's what made all these penalties that you guys had that are maybe bad calls count at the end that's and, you put yourself close enough to the line where you let the officiating beat you and like honestly like you look at it the lions had eight penalties for 50 yards. Well, the Packers had six penalties for 48 yards in that game. 
you can't get a much more even distribution of calls. And those lower numbers, as far as some of the games we've seen so far this year, um, means they're letting the guys play for the most part. Um, I mean, yeah, there were a lot of calls that we wanted, especially to go one way, especially earlier in the game. And for some reason, halfway through, it started to shift the other way and balance itself out. Um, That's just how games goes. And just one thing that I really sticks out to me about the Trey Flowers calls, because there's two of them, Mm -hmm. is that um, this was the... um, Packers websites, uh, two, two sports writers, Mike Spofford and, and Wes Hodkowitz commented on this in their podcast today. Um, and I have been thinking about it since, well, since Monday morning at my staff meeting where one of my coworkers is a Lions fan. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is uh, Trey Flowers had the exact same thing called on him twice for doing the exact same thing. Part of being a professional athlete is self-correction. Um <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll be I'll be on Trey Flowers' side for the most part on those two calls. Uh, the NFL, uh, P, the NFL uh, officiating crew did come out and say the second penalty should not have been a penalty. They did mm-hmm. say that they thought the first one should have been a penalty. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard to self-correct in the middle of a game, and I do think those calls were questionable. Uh, by the refs. Uh, they were close. But yeah, it, I, I don't know what to say to those Lions fans and Trey Flowers. Sorry. Also, <laughs> it's it's one phase of the game. You yeah. have two other phases, and to not fully capitalize on those, um, you know, it, football's a three-phase game. You got mm. offense, defense, and special teams. All mm. three got to play. And honestly, fourth part could have been coaching. Yeah. And some Lions fans were upset on uh, Will Redmond coverage of one of the wide receivers that looks like pass interference. And although officiating has been tough on those challenge flags thrown on the field uh, to ask a ref to say see if there was a penalty on a play, officiating has not put many flags on the field during challenges. Nope. Coaching can <laughs> still throw that red challenge flag out there and try to try to win that way as well. And Matt Patricia did not challenge that non-call. And that's a part of the game too. So, uh, yeah. Um, so that that's a little bit of the penalty rant that I wanted to go on. So, That's something. Um, I think we should start this game talking about special teams because that actually felt like it was a fairly significant part of the game for both sides of the field. I I think my favorite part of special teams was actually after the whole game had ended and Mason Crosby took a Lambo leap. Apparently his first Lambo leap, which I guess makes a lot of sense because as he's, you know, kicking field goals from who knows where on the field, a lot of the times you're pretty far, you can be pretty far away from the end zone. And he um, said in his post-game interview how, you know, he typically just enjoys being surrounded by his teammates after mm-hmm. making a game-winning kick, which he's done multiple times in his career. And so, um, but that he and... Um, Hunter Bradley. Hunter Bradley, the, the long, long snapper, snapper, as well as I think J.K. Scott was in on it, 
it, um, you know, had, had talked to me. He was like, you know, the next game winning field goal, like I'm going to do at home, I'm going to do a Lambeau leap. And so, you know, he kicks it, we win the game. Hunter Bradley takes off down to the end zone, ready to, to, to do the Lambeau leap. And Mason's, you know, following behind him. And apparently JK Scott was there too and jumped up off to the right. You can kind of see in the, the, um, on the recording of the play and, you know, Hunter Bradley hoists him up there and he, um, you know, gets his Lambo leap. It's pretty awesome to see. Yes. But the elephant in the room is, uh, Mason Crosby does not have hops. It's, no. a, it's, it's a tall wall. It's he a very is not tall wall. A tall man either. I, I, I will tell you this. I was watching the coverage of the Packers Lions game by ESPN beforehand, and it just so happened that in the pregame coverage of this game, uh, one of the analysts on the game was Adam Schefter. Uh, Adam Schefter covers the NFL. He's one of these guys who's an insider who breaks a lot of the news. I think mm-hmm. he actually broke part of the Jalen Ramsey trade. Uh, and they like to have Adam Schefter do some athletic things every once in a while on these ESPN broadcasts, like catch a football from an NFL quarterback, uh, run. Did he run the 40 for the ran, NFL combine? He, he ran the 40. He practiced this last year and improved? Just, actually, no, that was Rich Eisen. Oh, but, sorry. <laughs> uh, Adam Schefter also did run the 40 and get timed. Uh, but this week they decided to have Adam Schefter try a Lambo leap. And, oh, I missed this. And oh. from about 20, 30 yards out, about the distance Mason was away from the Lambeau Leap uh, field, they had Adam Schefter run through the end zone and try to leap up into the stands and make it up there. And I have to say, Mason Crosby made it about as far as Adam Schefter did. <laughs> and needed some help uh, from a long snapper and the fans in the stands. But... The flip side of this is J.K. Scott's very athletic. That man does a lot of yoga and has some spring in his legs, as we can see from his punting, and got up there, one leap all in his own, and got in the Lambo Leap celebration as well. So Mason Crosby, good field goal kicker. Not quite that athletic and jumping up into a stand. Well, to so. be fair, J.K. Scott has about six inches and we all know how much longer his legs are. Um, he also has about 10 years fewer than Mason Crosby does. So he's got a little bit more of a youthful spring to his step than, than, than Crosby, too. Um, but, you know, it's just great to see him up there, see him celebrating with the fans. And then what I've really appreciated about his particular Lambo Leap is how the whole team, instead of congregating around him on the field congregated around him in front of the stand Mm -hmm. um it was it's just it's a great image um it's a great way to to have a game and and a way to celebrate and part of the reason what makes this so great and why i wanted to start with special teams is mason crosby was also dealing with a lot of uh difficult things in his life uh his wife uh was going through breast cancer um and uh was going through this to start the season and actually had surgery and chemotherapy and uh, made it through, they made it through a rough patch in their life together. And uh, they Mm -hmm. came out on the other side. Uh, And Mason Crosby was one of the advocates for 
um, the NFL's initiative. Uh, it's not called Stand Up to Cancer. I think it's Intercept. Uh, no, it, that's not. You might have it. to look it up for me. Uh, the NFL's been making a big initiative push uh, to try to raise funds for cancer research from various teams. Um, and Mason Crosby was one of the rep representatives for the Packers. And in his post-game interview, he wore, he talked a little bit about it. He intentionally wore a very nice winter hat that they're selling uh, to raise funds uh, for uh, the Vince Lombardi Cancer Foundation. Um, and the hats, they're very stylish. They're 24 bucks and $5 of every hat. Uh, goes to the Vince Lombardi Foundation, uh, which supports research and uh, care for those struggling with cancer. And the hats are available at the Packers Pro Shop. So this is a free plug I wanted to get out there. But just his whole story, Mason with his wife going through cancer and him having such a great moment at home against a team which he struggled against last year having the one for five day uh, last season against the lions and to go three for three and kick two great extra points. It was just really great to see. Mm -hmm. And so the NFL's cancer awareness initiative this year is a crucial catch intercept cancer. That's it. And then the Packers um, subset of that initiative is the Packers versus cancer initiative this year which is um, being led, as Garrison said, by Mason Crosby, then, but also Blake Martinez. Um, mm -hmm. He had a very close friend of his uh, pass away of childhood cancer um, quite a few years ago and, and, and still is close to that friend's family and remembers that friend um, and honors him through, to, to this day with, with the platform that he now has as an NFL, as, as a premier NFL player. There you go. Yeah, so good Good plug there, and obviously that was a big part of the game for both teams was special teams. Uh, and the Lions kicker did a great job as well. He went, as we mentioned before, five for five. He did uh, what he had to do. He did what he had to do, and he, he had a, a wide range of field goals, uh, ranging from chip shot 20-yarders to uh, his long for the game, which was 54 yards. Um, but obviously you want touchdowns instead of field goals and I think this can transition us into uh, the Lions offense versus the Packers defense but right One, before we transition uh, just another shout out to my man JK Scott that 51.7 average on a cold crisp fall night it's pretty impressive it is pretty impressive go right. go JK 47. All right. All right. So Lions offense versus Packers defense. Uh, uh, I don't know where to start exactly on this. Anywhere uh, but the beginning of the game. The beginning of the game was certainly tough to watch, and it kind of it was a little bit of a gut punch, and I think those were the exact words that were used by some of the Packers in the locker room afterwards to start the game. Uh you obviously had the flea flicker play that went for a quick 60-yard play. Uh, you had on the second drive of the game another play that went for over 50 yards. And this defense, and especially the corners, did give up some big chunk plays. Yeah, I mean, I think the two things that really stand out, though, is um, 
the adjustments made by the defense following those two drives in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, because they then held the Lions to a fraction of what they um, had produced in their first quarter. Um, a lot of a lot of different analysts have compared that, and but it truly is impressive. Um, I mean, I think the Lions got roughly half their yardage in the first quarter, and then basically were stalled out the rest of the game on offense, mm-hmm. which is pretty pretty impressive. Um, I think the second thing that that really shows is the gift of having a bye week. Um, I think if the Lions had come off a bye, I or hadn't come off of a bye, I do not think we would have seen trick plays like that. I don't think we would have seen things scripted in that way, that the way we saw it in the first quarter. There's just not enough time in a single week to recap previ- the previous week's game, get your body back, practice, install, you know, really work up that many really odd things that are only going to be used once and then also get ready for the rest of the game. Like there just isn't enough time in a regular seven day week to do that. Um, But when you have the buy, you can throw some of those wrenches in there. Um, And I think that's a good reminder to the Packers to, uh, you know, keep an eye on, I think it's more than just the unscouted looks, but really the like, what can this team cook up to really try to get you mm-hmm. um, after a bye? Because our opponent next week, the Oakland Raiders are co- coming off of a bye from this week. And so they're going to be rested. They're going to be prepped. Mm-hmm. And who knows what they might have up their sleeve. And John Gruden is famously insane. Uh, <laughs> but back to the lines. Uh, I think, yeah, it- it was interesting watching the early part of the game. You obviously felt a little bit of worry coming off of the Dallas game where we let up over 400 yards and you're like, oh no, if we get down two touchdowns and we've been letting up yards for roughly five, six quarters in a row, uh, you get a little worried if, you can, if you're going to get down early and have to struggle back. Um, but you, you definitely still saw a lot of hustle from the defense. I think you can look to one of the first plays of the game uh, with the flea flicker play, uh, and Jair Alexander went and hustled to tackle. He moved. Yeah, he hustled once he he definitely made a mistake in the coverage, uh, letting the wide receiver get behind him, but. Uh, he hustled to get the tackle. That wasn't even his receiver. That was Kevin oh, really? King's receiver. Oh, no. that was King's receiver? Jair had the... My bad. <laughs> Jair was... Uh, noticed, noticed the coverage, and as every teammate does, you go to the ball. So yeah. as soon as the ball was in the air, he he switched, you know, switched what, you know, they thought from what they thought was going to happen to what was happening and just hustled. Yeah. Out hustled everyone to make that tackle and basically keep four points off the board. Yeah, and that that is also what can be said of this uh, performance as well. Um, the Packers were able to hold the Lions to just field goals in the red zone, um, and they were able to limit the damage, as they say. And this is a this is a Packers defense that didn't have a turnover the entire game. Um, and the, if you look at the flashy stats, there were no turnovers. There were only three sacks, um, one and a half sacks by Preston, half a sack by Kylo, Kyler Fackrell, and one sack by Zadarius Smith. Um, 
And it's interesting to see this team win in limiting a defense and not giving up the yards and trying to hope for the big plays to balance things out a little bit more. No, they just really buckled down and and held the Lions in check. I mean, they held them to 56 yards rushing. I mean, that, the Lions are a team that rushed, what was it, I think, well over 100 yards against the Kansas City Chiefs yep. and multiple other teams before coming into Lambeau Field. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just playing very stout, uh, after the first quarter, playing very stout football. Um, and although they didn't get the turnovers, uh, the, the key plays they really did have, like the, like the sacks, came at really key p- points in the game. Um, you know, third downs, you know, things that ended drives and forced the Lions to punt or kick a field goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, one interesting stat that I saw just about the Packers' defensive performance overall so far this year um, is the top five defenses in the NFL uh, at getting sacks or quarterback hits when they rush only four guys or less, which means they're dropping a lot more guys into coverage and playing the ball in the air a lot more and thinking they can get the run defense and the pass rush that they want with just their front four guys. The Packers are fourth in the NFL in getting production uh, in that setting behind the 49ers and the Patriots, which are the two remaining undefeated teams. remaining undefeated teams and the Carolina Panthers who have been winning games through their defense and having a really stout uh, front seven. Um, so again, I mean, it's, it's really hard to talk about this Packers team and this Packers defense without pointing to a big chunk of the success being the growth of some of our young players like a Kenny Clark and the additions of Zadarius and Preston Smith. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, um, they, they played a tough game and they, you know, especially the, the front line didn't really ever give an inch. Uh, the big plays were passing plays um, either, you know, a, a slip a broken coverage and, you know, different things. Lions but, rushers only averaged 2.8 yards a carry throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it the the big boys up front did their job, and you know that's the kind of game you want to see. And I think it's really important going forward because they've had the last couple of games they've they've let a lot of big rushing plays occur, either um, you know like against Minnesota with Dalvin Cook getting big chunk plays, or even just some of the some of the other weeks where when once they eliminated the chunk play there still was just a just a grinding it out where they would reliably get three four five yards a carry which if you do that for three carries get three four or five yards odds are you've got a first down Mm -hmm. yeah certainly and that's something that we want to continue seeing throughout the course of the next upcoming weeks um, any last things you want to say about the Lions offense versus the Packers defense? No, I think I'm ready to flip flip to the other side of the ball. Sounds flip good. Flip the field. Well, I'll let you start off then. What did you notice about the Packers offense versus the Lions defense? I actually was really shocked um, when I finally looked at the box score 
and how many yards of offense the Packers had. Uh, they had 453 yards of offense. That's a huge game. Um, and I think it was one of the, I think that as well as um, a few other things really was key to, to the Packers overcoming that, uh, the turnover margin of negative three. Um, and I think what was so impressive about that two, that 453 yards of offense though, is that it had balance to it. It was, um, about 280, 283 yards of receiving and 170 yards of rushing. That's, that's right where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you flip the script and look at the Lions offense, they had 56 yards rushing. And so really they're the bulk of their work, roughly 200, 260, 270 yards of it came from, came from passing. Um, and so I was for such a low scoring game, that's such a high number of yards, but I mean, that goes back to the turnovers. Yeah. And and the the two turnovers the Packers had when they had the ball on offense, the interception uh, off of Shepard's helmet, mm-hmm. um, which was a very fluky interception, and then the Aaron Jones fumble. Uh, the on the interception drive, the Packers had 58 yards on that drive, and they were getting very close to scoring a touchdown. And then on the fumble, they had 39 yards. So you can see we were moving the ball even when we did turn it over. Um, and we even talked about this going into the game. We expected probably a fumble to happen because that was really the strength of this Lions team uh, and one of the recognizable things that their defense did really well. Um, and it did, and it's not that often you're going to lose the turnover margin by three and still win the game. Yeah, I think it was one of the one of the um, press conferences that came up that uh, when that happens, you actually – your odds of losing hover around 91, 92% of the time. Oh, wow. Um, and so definitely in the minority of pulling this one out. Um, I think, it, you know, do you want to talk about rushing or do you want to talk about receiving? Um, I think I want to talk about rec- – actually, I mean, really, you can go either way. Um, I want to talk about receiving because I think that's an interesting situation. Um, a little bit about all the receivers – uh, Devonte Adams still has turf toe. Uh, last week it didn't sound like he was really quite sure at all when he was going to come back. I really haven't heard anything different this week, so I don't think it would be a surprise if he didn't play this week. Uh, Geronimo Allison uh, got uh, hit hard in a play where the Lions player was going for the interception, but it just so happened that there was helmet-to-helmet contact and there was a flag on the play. But it was a hard hit on Allison. And I'm not sure if he's in concussion protocol or if he has a injury designation, but he was on the injured report. And then Marquez Valdez-Scantling, even on a play, uh, he got his leg trapped under him as he was going down. And uh, No one's knee should bend that much. No one's knee should bend that much, and no one's foot should really bend underneath their buttocks, basically, and their back. Um, he eventually came back in the game and came back from that injury, but I'm sure was feeling it once the adrenaline wear it off. Uh, and that gave way in this Packers Lions game to more opportunities for guys like Jake Kumaro, Alan Lazard, 
Darius Shepard, some of these names we've been talking throughout the course of the year. And the hero of the night was Alan Lazard. He was. Um, I have a funny story about that, though. Right around, uh, I think it was about the 10 or 12 minute mark in the fourth quarter, I'm glancing through the depth chart, you know, Adams is out, Allison is out, MVS is pretty questionable. He's sort of playing, but he's clearly been injured. Shepard, it's not his night. And it's like, who's left in this chart? And looking at it's Alan Lazard. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been sitting on the bench. And I, I, I turned to the poor guy next to me and his girlfriend. And I was like, you know, I'd like to see Alan Lazard get the ball here. Give him a chance. And so sure enough, about two minutes of play a layer, he uh, scores a 35 yard, yard touchdown. And they both were like, who is that? And I'm like, that's Alan Lazard. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think it's really important, especially in a situation like Matt LaFleur was in. And I think Rogers recognized it because he talked about asking the wide receivers coach to put Alan Lazard in. Um, recognizing who's not hot and just giving them a pause. I don't, you know, turnovers aside, mm-hmm. like if you if things aren't working, just take a break, mm-hmm. take a pause, come back tomorrow. Like maybe not tomorrow, come back maybe the next drive in the in a game situation. But you know, you just have a break so that you can give yourself a chance to reset. Um, so if we're giving you know injuries aside, giving Shepard a break, who's left? There wasn't very many wide receivers left on the roster at that point. And Lazard, he, he's shown he can make plays. I mean, he did it in the, in the preseason. So you might as well give him a shot. Yeah, and he certainly had the blessing of Aaron Rodgers. And that was something that became one of the storylines after the game. Uh, in the post-game press conference on the field for the ESPN telecast, uh, Rodgers was interviewed and asked about Lazard and uh, had this to say about him. Rodgers said, I've seen him in practice. I sit next to him in meetings. I see the study habits. I've seen the preparation. He's just been waiting for the opportunity. And finally, he got one, and he played how I expected him to play. I'm very proud of him. And then after the game, uh, in the post-game press conference with Packers Media and uh, written journalism, uh, Rodgers mentioned that he put put in a word to get some opportunities for Lazard in the second half and Matt LaFleur said yeah that's what you could say Rodgers <laughs> jokingly of course uh but yeah so Rodgers Rodgers has the trust of this guy and uh he was talking about how Lazard after he would catch a ball would come into the huddle and say I want to run this route and I think this route would be good for us and uh, having that sort of enthusiasm and that intellect, I mean, that's that's what the type of player Rodgers is and the type of player that he's interacted well with in the past are guys like Jordy Nelson, who really tried to match his intellect and knowledge of the game. Yeah, and I mean, I think it, it makes me excited, you know, for him. And, you know, I think it's re- given, I would say, throughout, especially the wide receiver pool and even – our t- really our offensive our offensive side of the ball um, there's a lot of parity I mean yeah you have when you have your Devonte Adams when he's healthy who is elite but for the most part we have a lot of guys that are all good they're mm. real good 
they might not be great. They might not quite be pro bowlers yet. They're still developing. They're still learning. But they're all good. And so to kind of go with who's who's got it yeah. locked in for the night, like Alan Lazard was, you just, I mean, you may, it makes you wish they would have turned to him sooner because he got those 65 yards literally in like the last like nine minutes and some change of the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Project that out over a four-quarter game. Yeah, and I... I mean, it's interesting at this point with the Packers offense. We'll talk about the running backs here in a second. Um, but especially among the wide receiver core, I, I think a lot about the early days with Rodgers where it was Greg Jennings and Donald Driver and James Jones who were all well-established guys. And the question kind of was like, when – are these guys getting too old and when are there going to be opportunities for new guys to develop and grow into uh, being some of the better pass catchers? And then Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb eventually developed and replaced some of those guys. Uh, And I'm curious to see what happens because I think we're at a similar point where a similar, but different point. We have Devonta Adams, who's very clearly established and there's a ton of opportunity for other guys to establish themselves and turn into a story and the type of caliber of player that we've had in the wide receiver room, like a Donald Driver who was undrafted out of Alcorn State. Like, I really would like to see a story like that out of Lazard or Shepard or even MVS or Equinemius St. Brown or any of these guys because they're – they haven't had a ton of fanfare coming out of college onto this team, and they could be those types of stories. But we should also talk about possibly the quietest 100-yard rushing game I've ever seen out of Jamal Williams. Absolutely. You um, were out of town this weekend, and so we watched the game separately and texted me afterwards that, wow, that was the quietest 100-yard game I think I've ever seen. And my first thought was, he had 100 yards? No. <laughs> and and he, he, could had have had a, he, he could had, have had 107 and a touchdown. Yeah, he had 100 yards rushing. He also... Yeah, there's also the He passing. also had 32 yards in the pass game as well. Uh, so he, he had a... Jamal Williams had a really great game. Uh, and he busted off a 45-yard carry and as Jamal Williams is great for you should watch his post game interview where he was talking like I could hear him I could hear him uh slowing down and then he jumped out and got me from behind and oh I wanted to get the touchdown so bad <laughs> like he has some of the best energy out there and you can tell Aaron Jones was having a little bit of a lackluster night and whether it be the fumble got in his mojo early on in the game in the first quarter uh but Jamal Williams picked up the slack and then some yeah and i mean aaron jones i mean outside of of course the fumble and the the wide open miscatch that probably would have gone for a touchdown i mean he had a pretty respectable night he you know 11 carries 47 yards 4.3 average you know four catches in pretty tough situations is kind of an out in a lot of instances just to to you know get the ball out and moving forward Mm -hmm. managed to get 13 yards receiving I mean, a 4.3 average carry is not bad. It's just no. when you have Jamal Williams having it mostly due to that big run, but a 7.4 average, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to ride the hot hand. Yeah, that's true. And I think, 
I think it can't be understated the really smart play Jamal had at sitting down uh, in one of the last runs of the game where the Lions were giving him a touchdown. They wanted him to go in and score, and Jamal Williams just so sat could... his butt down on the four-yard line and was just laughing and smiling at them. And I'll say this, uh, Packer fans, when you're at the bar and you're drinking, I'm all for you with feeling the energy and the heat and all that. But that was one of the smartest NFL plays, and I had some people around me yelling and cursing at the TV. And that was a smart play because the Packers maintain control of the clock and were able to control everything that was going on. And being able to cut down the clock, have an almost seven-minute drive at the end of the game. Six minutes and 46 seconds. There you go. And be able to set up what was the easiest of chip shot field goals. Uh, there's not much you can really complain about, and that's the smart football move. And that was a very mm-hmm. smart move on Jamal's part in sitting down. It's, it is so anti-intuitive, especially um, especially as a fan sitting there and, and cheering for him to go in, and then he doesn't. And you're like, what went wrong? And then you realize that it was intentional. Yeah, it's and such good situational football. It's like, that's good what awareness. Want. It's good coaching. It's good teamwork. It is all of those things. Um, and probably is the best play of the game. Yeah, and it ensured that we could get that – Keep the clock running. Lions were out of timeouts at that point. Yep. They were at our mercy, and we didn't give them any mercy back. We took it. We took the lead, and we were able to do it. And that's the killer instinct I think you need to have as a football team to understand down and distance where you're at and what's it going to take to win the game. Yeah, and, and the, that that's where this game came down to because the Lions didn't score the touchdowns to have that killer instinct and put us too far behind. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's impressive to have never had a lead throughout the entire course of regulation and walk away with the win. Um, also, the poor couple sitting next to me also had to listen to me ask for a... Uh, I asked for a 6-minute and 30-second drive at the 6-minute and 46-second mark. Um, but apparently Matt LaFleur is a little bit more demanding than I am. <laughs> I guess that's why he's a head coach and I am just on a podcast. Exactly. That is the exact difference between you two. And Plus, a few years. A, a few years. He can also grow a better beard than you. That is true. I cannot <laughs> grow a beard if there was any question or doubt. Fair. Uh, is there a... Uh, any other things you want to talk about with this uh, Packers offensive performance or the game as a whole before we move on to the Packers and Raiders? I would just put two things still on the on the offensive side of the ball. Um, the way Aaron Rodgers can move the ball around and utilize whoever is available, I think, is really important. And a, I mean, he's doing he's done this for years. Um, this game in particular made me think back to the playoff game against the Arizona Cardinals when literally like no one was left and it's like, who's on the practice squad that can play wide receiver. Oh, that's guy named Jeff Janis. Who's he? Um, (laughs) He's apparently a guy who can catch Hail Marys. Um, But you know, it was just that kind of game. It's like, who else is, who else is around right now that can uh, suit up and, and, and step in here. And, you know, he spread it around. People got a lot of opportunities. Um, 
you know, that's that's a good thing. It, it, it that multidimensionality to this team to win whatever way it takes is a good sign for things to come. The second thing I'd like to point out is that my correlation about this offense still holds. When the tight ends are doing well, this offense is doing well. Jimmy Graham had quite a few drops in the first half. First half did not go as ideally as we had hoped. He dropped two touchdown passes. Yes, he did. However, second half, we see Mercedes Lewis get two catches for 50 yards. Jimmy Graham makes a key catch. He made cat caught it um, for a key first down on that on that last drive to move the chains. Um, and so I do, you know, don't think it's causation. But when the tight ends are doing well, um, this offense this offense really gets humming. That is very fair. Um, the last thing I'll mention about the game overall was uh, one stat for Preston Smith and Zedarius Smith. Uh, Preston has seven sacks uh, through six games, and Zedarius has six sacks through six games. So clearly Zedarius is going to get the first sack in the next game. Is that Pro- what you're saying? Probably. They, they, they are very much having a little competition between them, and I'm all here for it. Uh, and they are the first Packers tandem to both register six plus sacks in the first game, six games of a season since 1982. So little stat there for you. Been a hot minute. Yep. So uh, really great to see those two continue to perform well. Uh, So with that, we'll transition into the Packers versus the Raiders. The autumn winds are Raider. (laughs) The only reason I know that is because I watched uh, Hard Knocks with the Oakland Raiders this entire uh, uh, fall. So Um, clearly you were prepared for uh, insights into how this team is going to perform. Well, (laughs) I I do know a little bit about this team. Um, So the Packers and the Raiders, as Sarah mentioned, the Raiders are coming off a bye week. Uh, Last week they played the Chicago Bears in London. Um, every team that plays in London the next week for them is a bye week. The NFL schedulers gave them that. Uh, oh, that's nice. It's just smart scheduling. Um, the Packers would be really terrible with jet lag to try to come back exactly. and play. <laughs> hey, we're going to give you jet lag. You're going to play on a Thursday night <laughs> game. Good luck. Go out there, bud. You're good. You can do it. <laughs> Not going to happen ever. Um, uh, so the Packers versus the Raiders at Lambeau. The Packers are favored by six points. Uh, the over-under for the game is at 46.5 points for total points overall. Uh, and the betting community is betting on the Raiders to cover that six points against the spread uh, at almost a 70% clip. So the betting community is thinking that the Raiders will either win the game or lose by less than six points and i will say your prediction last week held that Mm -hmm. the packers would win but the lions would cover the spread and i think that's going to be the case this week six points seems like a really generous this is a good the raiders are a good team they're not bad like what (laughs) yeah so that i mean that's something we could talk about a little bit um the raiders are they have a they have a lot of solid players, but not super flashy players that will really stand out to you. Um, 
They obviously had the whole Antonio Brown saga. That's water in the, under the bridge. It honestly feels like they never had Antonio Brown on their team to begin with, and they kind of treated it as such. That is probably a healthy mindset to have. Probably a healthy mindset to have. Uh, the Raiders running back, uh, Josh Jacobs out of Alabama, is having a strong rookie year with over 400 yards rushing uh, through five games this year. Um, Derek Carr's having a solid year. He's taking care of the football two-to-one touchdown to interception ratio, which is quality, um, almost 100 uh, quarterback rating. I think he's hovering around in the mid-90s. Um, one of the best stories of this Raiders team and one of the best stories of the entire NFL this year is tight end Darren Waller, who is one of the best tight ends in the league so far to this point. Um, if you followed Hard Knocks, you got to hear his story a little bit. To this point, he has 37 catches and 359 yards, which is leading the team in wide receiving from a tight end, which is impressive. Um, the reason his story is so good is because he came into the league with the Baltimore Ravens with a, not necessarily a high draft pick, but a guy who was viewed as having a lot of talent. He dealt with some substance abuse issues with cocaine and alcohol. Uh, he was out of the league, I believe, most of the year last year, and he uh, came back strong. He is going to AA. One of the great scenes from the Hard Knocks episodes were uh, driving along with Darren Waller to his AA meeting and talking about his struggles and how he's overcome them, and he's really turned himself into one of the best second-chance success stories in the league. Um just some facts beyond the football uh, field. Um, but for this Raiders team, they are a team that leans towards the running game. Um, uh, the Raiders are 24th in the NFL in passing and 8th in the league in running. The Raiders are also known for having one of the bigger offensive lines in the NFL um, and one of the stronger units in the NFL. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm curious to see how much, uh, the Raiders will focus on the run in this game. Yeah. Um, I mean, that'll be, that'll be interesting to see, especially with the, just kind of the up and downs of the Packers, you know, rushing defense so far this season being extremely, stout in Chicago and really bouncing back again this past week against the lions. But in between they've had some, they've had some pretty, pretty holy moments. And I don't mean that in a religious sense um, where there's been a lot of players to leak through and, and, and find a lot of yards against them. And so it'll kind of be which, which versions of the, uh, which version of the Packers line do we see on Sunday? Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I think another interesting area where the Raiders have had some success is on third down. Uh, and I looked up some third down percentages uh, from this point of the season. And Oakland is eighth in the NFL with converting on 47.8% of their third downs. And the Packers are 27th with converting only on 31% of their third down percentage uh, opportunities, which... I thought to be a very interesting stat and I've certainly felt like this Packers team has been a little bit better than 31%, but I think 
looking at the game, maybe that's a situation to see how it turns out to be. Well, when the Packers really have been humming, they haven't gotten a third down. They haven't gotten a third down. They avoid third down, (laughs) and that keeps the offensive offense flying when they're in when they get bogged down and get to third down they really have struggled yeah completely agree um is there anything else that you're kind of looking at with this matchup between the Packers and the Raiders Sarah um two things kind of strike me the first is is the Raiders schedule thus far this year um they started the season with a win against the Broncos okay (laughs) A lot of people are winning against the Broncos. No big deal. Um, then they lo- they lost to the Chiefs. Also, okay. The Chiefs um, have kind of stumbled as of late, but as of the beginning of the season, we're, we're and still are a hot team and a difficult team to play against. Then they had a real bad showing against the Vikings, and they lost. But after that, they've really turned some things around. They beat the Colts at the Colts, which is a sign. And then they also, they they gutted it out against the Bears, um, not this past week, but the week before. And, you know, between that and coming off of a bye, um, you know, the Raiders really, really, I think, are a lot better than people are are giving them credit for. and then I think the other thing that's kind of a, a hidden part of the Raiders roster is, um, you know, their uh, third quarterback on the roster there is a guy named Deshaun Kaiser. And if you scroll down and look at their wide receiver core, um, a gentleman showed up a couple of weeks ago by the name of Trevor Davis. Mm-hmm. And to have a whole bye week with these two individuals who know a lot about the Packers offense um you know it's I wouldn't go so far as to say it gives the Raiders an advantage but you know it's you aren't gonna out scheme them you have to outplay them and you know not to say that the Packers can't do that they're fully capable of doing that I think they're gonna win I always think the Packers are gonna win um we can be down 20 points in the fourth quarter and I think the Packers are going to win just the kind of fan I am. I never, never say never until the clock says final. Um, but you know, the, the, that, that option of giving yourself a break with some scheme and some other things, I don't think is going to be there for the Packers. They are just going to have to outplay them, which they can do. I think they can do it on offense. They can do it on defense. They can do it on special teams. Um, but it, it, I, you know, some of that, those tricks in the book are not going to work. And so you just got to get it out. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and I think the Packers will play well in this game, and I am going to pick them to win the game. Uh, <laughs> shocker. Uh, and, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I think this Raiders team is one of the sneaker teams in the NFL to try to predict where they're going. They they have a coach in John Gruden who's a Super Bowl winning coach who has he's sort of the Sean McVay before Sean McVay was ever a thing. 
Yep. John Gruden was the young mastermind of the Oakland Raiders who went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and helped that team win a Super Bowl. Uh, and then he went up in the booth for about a decade and came back. He came back to a 10 year, $100 million contract. I would come back for that too. Um, but he's, he's, he's an offensive mastermind and will certainly, I think, have some tricks in the book. And I think might be, he might be the, I might be making a hot take here unintentionally. He might be the best coach that I think Matt LaFleur has gone up against so far this year um, in terms of offensive opponent. Um, I, yeah, that's, uh, eh, that's a tough one to think about. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll say that. I'll say the hot take. John Gruden's the best offensive coach that Matt LaFleur has faced this year. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. And this team knows how to scout Mike Mayock's the GM, and he finds players who play the way he wants them to play. And it'll it'll be interesting. I think this, will, this is kind of a tough game to call. Um yeah, and I, the Raiders are in the thick of it. They're a winning team right now, and when winning teams come into play, you 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 prepare just as hard, if not harder. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is you know not an easy week. No week's easy in the NFL, but um, you know, I like I like the Packers' odds. I like you know the the odds literally are in their favor, but um. They, if the the defensive line can show up like they did this past week, and if you know we can maybe settle on on you know who who's going to play these wide receiver positions for for at least one week, that'd be great. Um, I just you know settle in in on offense on um, figuring out you know who's just matching up against this team today. On mm-hmm. um, well, not today, Wednesday, but today on Sunday, mm-hmm. it, if they can figure that out in the first half and get going on that by the before the second quarter ends and then ride that wave through the end of the game, they they can do this. This is this is doable. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it's going to have to come down to the I, – I really think it's going to be the defense ready for whatever John Gruden's got up his sleeve. Yep. Because he's got something. Yeah. And well, okay, let's go let's go at it from this way. Uh the pack as I said, the Packers are favored by six. Let's say our our decision for this game, we obviously both think the Packers are gonna win. What do you think the score will be and who do you think the X factor for each team will be? Um and I'll I'll start and give you some time to think because I've thought about this a little bit. Uh I I think the Packers will win this game. I think they will win it by more than a touchdown. I think they're going to beat the Raiders handily, but I also do think the Raiders will have a couple explosive plays that'll make them pop off the screen a little bit and make it feel like, oh, they could come back at any moment. Um, 
I think this is going to be a 14 to 28 game uh, Raiders getting two touchdowns, but giving some uh, turnovers to the Packers defense. And then the Packers get in four touchdowns on the board. Um, I think for the Raiders, uh, the X factor for them is going to be Darren Waller. Uh, I think he's one of their best players. Uh, and I think he's, very similar in profile to TJ Hawkinson, who we faced this past week. And if it weren't for a mistake by TJ Hawkinson, the rookie, there could have been another seven points for the Lions on the board. He dropped a touchdown in the end zone. And I think in Waller, a guy who's been in the league for a few more years, who've gone through some struggles, I think he'll catch a touchdown pass versus the Packers. And I'm not just saying this because he's on my fantasy football team, but I may be saying this because he's on my fantasy football team. Uh, I think he'll have a good game uh, for the Packers. I think the X factor is going to be Aaron Rodgers. I think this is going to be one of the games where we fully see him cut it loose and he's shown it this year so far, but I think this is going to be a game where it's not about the rushing attack at all. It's about Aaron Rodgers making some of these no-name wide, rec- no-name wide receivers to some, the Lazards, the Kumaros, the Shepherds uh, of the world, and getting touchdowns to multiple of them. Uh, so I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a great game this week against the Raiders and lead them to a 28-14 to victory. I think it's going to be a closer game than that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm thinking 27-24 Packers. Um, I think kind of two on the, on the Packers side of things, my kind of X factor for this week, I think is going to be Kevin King. Um, this past week, uh, I thought it was a lot of people at the bar surrounding me thought it was just terrible play, but Kevin King's coming back from an injury. Um, we've seen in the past when he, he, he plays through injuries, but his play does get compromised pretty quickly by injuries. When he's a hundred percent healthy, there's, I don't think there's anyone who can beat him, but he's a little bit injury prone and injuries significantly impact his play. I think how much he's back from that injury, how much healthier he is, is really going to dictate his play and going to dictate, you know, when he does get beat on coverage, if he's going to get beat on coverage and, you know, what kind of explosive plays we might hand the readers because of that. Mm. Um, Because explosive plays lead to points. Um, Even if you hold it to three, instead of giving, making it seven, um, that's still points for the other team. And you don't want to see that. So for me, for the Packers, it's Kevin King. For Oakland, I'm going to be watching Trevor Davis. Um, he was a player on the rise when he then was traded away from the Packers. He also had a long touchdown for the Raiders, I think a 44-yard run. And he's been having some pretty good plays for them. Um, I have to imagine he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder. And we t- talked before about how much a chip on the shoulder can make a difference. 
and one of the Raiders' starting wide receivers, Tyrell Williams, is dealing with plantar fasciitis and is looking like he's trending towards not playing. So the opportunity will likely be there for Trevor Davis. To at least get some snaps. If not, maybe start? Is that? Maybe. Maybe? Who knows? Um, So he's fast. He can play. Um, He's probably still getting a little bit used to the Raiders system opposed to the Packers system. But, you know, I, I have to believe that he is probably highly motivated this week to, to, to prove, to prove him wrong. Um, and that could be dangerous. So 27, 24, I think we pull it out. Um, and it'll be an interesting battle in the secondary. There you go. righty. Uh, so, I'm going to take the last words. Do you have any last words for the people? Because I, I have a quote for the people. I have, I have two things. Um, nobody should have 12 field, 12 players on the field for an extra point or for a field goal. There you go, Lions fans. There's your uh, point differential right there. Um, and the last thing I'd like to say is happy birthday to my lovely husband, Matthew Bush. He, he, he does not live here in DC with, with, with us, but, uh, but he, he is celebrating his 33rd birthday today. I love you, honey. Wow. His, his NFL career is almost over. (laughs) He does not play in the NFL at all. (laughs) Although Uh, I look at it as I'm 31. So I have eight more years to be able to be a head coach like Matt LaFleur. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. Um, I will leave the people with this and this will be our last word for the podcast. Uh, in the words of the, the prodigal son, the sage philosopher, the um, visionary of our times, Jamal Williams, all that matters is the dub. So go out there, pack, and get the dub. And that for you guys is this week's episode of Cheesehead Hangover. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Cheesy Hangover. Uh, And we look forward to talking to you guys next week after the Packers versus the Raiders. Peace.